Judges in chapter 4. The story is in the book of Judges and the song about the story, uh, Deborah and Barak's song about the story is in chapter 5. We'll read both. So Judges in chapter 4. Butter and brutality. I would highly encourage you all to go home and think of some really good jokes around this because there's got to be a lot. And I've, I've, already, I've already kind of worn that out a little bit and I haven't done such a great job, so maybe you guys can come up with some better ones. So if you give me a really good one, I might use it. We'll see. But all right. Judges chapter 4, go down to verse 17. So this is after the battle. Okay. So Sisera, has been, Sisera and Jabin the Canaanites have been oppressing the Israelites. God provides victory through uh, Deborah and Barak. Barak had a little bit of weak faith. And of course, uh, it was promised by Deborah that victory would come to the hands of a woman, the, the ultimate victory, which Sisera is the key to this whole thing. Okay, we figured that out. So after the Lord... Uh, swamps all their chariots. So again, picture the chariot. The chariot was that was that the tank of that day. I, I don't know how else to explain it. The chariot was the tank of those days. So one chariot would take out thousands of men. God manages to take all their nine hundred chariots of iron and make them pointless. Sisera, once he loses advantage, runs like a little girl. And Barak and the children of Israel end up being about what we think is about forty thousand people just beat the tar out of them. So right here, right here in verse 17 is where we kind of come into the middle of the battle after the chariots have been swamped and it looks, it's pretty sure they're going to lose. The Canaanites are going to lose. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> verse 17. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the, the Kenite. Now remember, Heber's the one who was the tattletale he's the one that told Sisera where the, what the Israelites were up to. Okay, So Sisera thinks he's running to the tent of a friend. But interesting, he doesn't go to... This is interesting to me. Why doesn't he go to Heber's tent? He doesn't. He goes to Jael's tent, and we'll talk about that. So he, he flees, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Verse 18... And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. That's a blanket, okay? Here's your blankie. And he said unto me, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say, no. <laughs> Why don't you lie for me? Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took an hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temples and fastened it into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. No kidding. <laughs> And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he had come in, and when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. 
<laughs> so you understand, in his temples means it went in one side and came out the other. Okay, this was Frankenstein, if you will. So, so God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Okay, now go to chapter 5 and go down to verse 24. Chapter 5 and verse 24. So this is Deborah's song about Jael. Okay. Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. So blessed among the nomadic women. He asked water and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with a hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. Somehow, well, and we'll just finish verse 27. At her feet he bowed, he fell, he lay down. At her feet he bowed, he fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. So there's room in Deborah's song for us to maybe even get the picture that a little bit more happened to that hammer than just the nail through the head. And whether that be before or after, we don't know. But I th- probably the nail through the head was quite enough. Okay, verse 28. The mother of Sisera looked out at a window and cried through the lattice. Now remember, this is a song. This is, not, this is Deborah's version. This is just her singing about the possibilities here. She, she cries through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Her wise ladies answered her, Yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey to Sisera, a prey of divers colors, a prey of divers colors of needlework? That's the spoil we're talking about. Of divers colors of needlework on both sides. Meet for the necks of them that take the spoil. I'm sorry, I missed one. Verse, I missed them there. Yeah, there we go. Verse 30. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the prey to every man a damsel or two? To Sisera, pray of divers colors, and again, to every man a damsel or two. What usually happens during wartime to the damsels in the country that is being beaten? And this is, since time began, it's rape and pillage. Okay, we use those terms because that's, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying that's what man tends to do. So, verse 31 so that all thine enemies perish, O Lord, but let them that love him be as the sun when he goeth forth in his might, and the land had rest forty years. And Father, we thank you very much for the day. Lord, I would ask that you'd bless on the message tonight, and we'll thank you for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I want to use just a real quick, just really quick illustration, because we've we got a ways to go yet. But... <clears throat> J.L. is what I would call, uh, I'd like to call her an unsung hero, but that'd be wrong because Deborah sang about her. But anyways, she, but she's, she was an unexpected hero for sure. She's, uh, without the Bible, honestly, who would, would we even know about that, you know, she's the one who killed Sisera. And I think, you know, I just got thinking about things that uh, are of great use Today, things that we are affected by today that we don't really know where the origin is. And follow me all the way through here. We'll get to the end. But so, this is interesting. You know what this is, right? 
Yeah, so doorknob. You know, we don't know who invented doorknobs. I mean, we probably know who invented this version. I'm going to get even a little further is locks. We don't know who invented either one of these. They've been around as, far, as old as we can get in Egypt. They had, Egypt had big, heavy doors. They had doorknobs and locks, and nobody knows who decided to make one, where they came from. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got a big, heavy door, you need a... But how prolific are these things? They're everywhere. There's a couple thousand dollars worth in this building, in these buildings. I mean, they're so ubiquitous, you don't even think about it. You can see two, three different kinds. You know exactly how they work. You walk up and use it. And yet, the guy who invented this, I'm assuming a guy, maybe the lady who invented this, who knows? No idea. Dead and gone. But they left an impact on the world, didn't they? You want to get even, wor- want to get even more interesting? This one's going to surprise you. Everyone in the room has probably used this. And we have, it's older than the doorknob, like maybe 3,000 years earlier than the doorknob, and we have no idea where it came from or who invented it. You want to know what it is? Scissors. They've been around for, they've been around for millennia, and nobody knows who invented them. Now, we, even the modern one, we don't, we don't even know who invented the modern hinged Two bladed, or well, two pieces of metal. We don't know it. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this is this is like scissors. Go down to Office Depot and buy a twelve pack for like what ten bucks. You know, they're cheap, but they're one of the most useful things. Everybody's used them. I mean, I I used them several times this week using this. And the person the person who invented these, we don't even know their name, but we all are affected by somebody who figured out. Take two pieces of metal, sharpen them a little bit, squeeze them against each other. Wow! wonder how they figured that out. That'd be interesting. Wouldn't that be an interesting story? Um, you think about it, there's lots of stuff like that. We can even go into, un, we get into unknown heroes, it gets great. But I want you to just capture that thought in your head, and we'll come back to that later. Okay? So now, the whole thing here where it says he, uh, in, and she says, Deborah says, verse 25, she, she brought him milk and she brought forth butter in a lordly dish. So the idea there being, we're actually, we actually could be talking about buttermilk, okay? It's a, it's a dairy product that's been agitated, as, as the words in there. So what we would call, uh, we might not use the word butter for this, we might actually use the word cream or buttermilk of something along that line. And so what does he come in? He comes in, this whole thing is just really interesting. Now, I know, listen, you, you all heard the term, butter someone up? I really wish this is where this came from, but it's not. Because she wasn't asking for nothing. She wanted to kill him. <laughs> but, but, I mean, the whole idea, what, is, what does she do? She's treating this guy like he is the top of the heap, man. You know, oh, now he went to her tent, and we could look at that again. Verse 17, look at it again of chapter 4. Albeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. He went there on purpose. Okay? But so she walks out, and I don't know what, if this is like mom or what, but I mean, oh, are you tired, Sisera? Oh, come on in. Here, do you need a blankie? Out here, how about some nice hot chocolate? You want some marshmallows with that? 
I mean, here, this is, this is what she's doing. She is literally, like, just treating him like the best, he's the best guy ever. Can I have water? Water. Water's too... Now, now, I don't know if anybody, well, I'll get there ahead of time, but just, you know, the whole thing. My brain starts running here. You know, ladies, if you're going to kill a man, you might as well butter him up a bit before you do it. I mean, just, guys, if a woman starts to butter you up, Yeah, if a woman starts treating you like you're a god and you can do no wrong, something is up. <laughs> she might be sending you to meet the real god, but anyways. <clears throat> this, this whole story is just great. I mean, I, I love, listen, and I understand my humor is a little different than other people. Some people read this, and I'm serious, maybe even in the room. Some people read this and they're bothered by the act of jail. Some people literally, they read the story of jail and that bothers them. Um, not because it's a woman or anything like that, but because it looks like just pure murder. And we're going to talk about that as well, okay, just a little bit. Maybe I can help your viewpoint on it. But So first, I, just, I thought, you know what, from last week, we looked at Deborah. We looked at, what does Deborah say? And uh, so this week, I thought, well, what does Deborah say? Well, Deborah says, blessed shall she be above women. What that, that word there means is praised. She's going to be praised above women. People are going to praise her, and they're going to praise her for a very long time. And she's right. I mean, here we are, how many centuries later, millennia later, and we're still talking about the praising JL for her, for her actions. And it says she treated him like a lord, and it said she was right-handed for whatever. And Deborah says it, so I just thought I'd throw it in. Sorry, Brother Luke. But, and for all of you other left-handers out there, whatever it means. But just thought it was interesting. Deborah says... She's going to be praised above all other women of the tent. So that's nomadic women. That she's just going to be, man, look at JL. This is awesome. And, and man, you know, I spent, it's one of those things, I love the story, but you got to pull some thoughts out of it. So what did she do? And I kind of already walked it in. He came to her tent, but she also invited him in. She was generous. Now, I will, well, I'll get there in a little bit. She, again, she treats him like, I mean, awesome. She just treats him like a, a royalty. Now, I'm just... The milk is interesting. So for those of you who don't know, but uh, milk is often used to help foster people to go back, to go to sleep. Uh, I mean, it's an old, old remedy. And I think I've told you before, one of the things my mom had me do if I had trouble sleeping, I used to have uh, uh, horrible nightmares, dreams as a kid, uh, I'd have, you know, shin splints, pain, you know, growing pains, just kept me awake all the time. My mom would make, I would have warm milk, like warm, warm it up in the microwave milk uh, with butter mixed into it and then just a little bit of sugar so it kind of tastes okay. And man, I'd drink that, I'd pass out. I'd be, I'd be gone. I mean, they'd go back, and if it was really bad, maybe add a, an aspirin or a Tylenol or something with that. But usually, it's just that warm milk, a little bit of butter, man, it wouldn't take me no time flat. I'm back in the bed and I'm out. So, and this is not a new thing. Warm milk used to help help people go to sleep, you know. So, I mean, everything she's doing here, get a. She is literally trying to get him to go to sleep. He's already tired, and and she is just kind of encouraging the whole thing along, you know. I I just I mean the whole picture. She's maybe being motherly, okay, or just being a woman who's really you know. You know how it is, a, a woman just taking care, of, taking care of this guy, that's what it seems like. I'm really wondering how she kept a straight face. I'm, 
But she did quite well at it, so she covers him with some sort of a blanket. That's what the mantle idea is, is some sort of a blanket or a rug. And um, she received his instruction. Hey, if anybody comes, you don't know nothing. <laughs> you know, just keep your mouth shut. You don't know nothing. Oh, yeah, no problem. No argument. No complaint. I mean, seriously, Sisera should have been awake right here at this point saying, this something's a little up here. So when he's finally asleep, what does she do? Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> yeah, some of you got that. <laughs> got the nail, and I guess she gets the hammer. She sneaks up on him. And this is good stuff. I mean, I'm sorry. I just enjoy these kind of stories. This is just really good. Now, and again, a reminder, this isn't new to JL. The hammer and the nail, most, of, most women were the ones who set up these tents. So she was very adept with a tent nail and a hammer, okay? And it probably, I'm just thinking, I'd probably talk to Brother Luke to be, verify this, but I'm thinking through the temples with a tent nail, let's just assume we're talking maybe 10 to 8 to 12 inches, and with a, a hammer for it, I don't think, my guess is probably one good solid hit, and it was all the way through, okay? He was, he was dead before he realized what happened to him. I mean, when he realized what happened to him, it's too late. And it even kind of gives the idea that there might have been a little, thunk. <laughs> so she sneaks up on him, whammo. Wow. This is great. I'm sorry, I just, this is hilarious to me. And I know some people, their, their humor is totally different, and they look at this and go, I can't believe this, this is awful. What about Sisera? Again, why is he picked JL's tent? Because people in this culture, you didn't search a woman's tent. You didn't walk up on some woman's tent and just start searching. And, of course, he knows his side is the losing side, so anybody that comes is typically going to be friends friendly to her or at least respectful to her, and they're not just going to barge in. So he picks a woman's tent on purpose. Why? Because he's a scaredy cat. Well, I don't know, does anybody here really want to die? Because if, if Barrett catches him, it's over. So he goes to a woman's tent, he actually asked her to stand out in front. Again, not just do you don't search a woman's tent, but if the woman is standing out in front of the door, that's just like a, a bar. Hey, have you seen anything? Nope, sure haven't. Yes, ma'am, thank you for your time. That's, that would have been it. That would have been it. So he goes there on purpose. He's tired. Somehow he trusts that the friendship with Heber... Is, is okay. Now, this again, to me, this is one of those little side lessons. You think about this. Heber the Kenite. The Kenites are friendly to Israel, and Heber evidently has switched sides already. Why would he trust someone who's already switched sides? Anyways, I, I think Heber was one of those guys that just knew where his bread was buttered, and he, buttered, okay, well, anyways, he, he, went, he went with the side that was most likely to benefit him. Maybe J.L. had a little better picture of that, I don't know. But whatever it is, Sisera trusted in the friendship that was there. And, uh, I mean, this is a guy who has been lording it over the Israelites. Probably, when you, when you get guys that are doing that, Sister again, Sisera is the key to this. I think probably he, the Israelites weren't the only one that he was acting like Mr. Big Shot in front of, okay, and over. So what's ends, what starts with this Sisera the, the fearful general on his iron chariot that's going to come and kill the Israelites ends with him dying at the hands of a woman in her tent. 
That's just too ironic. This is the best stuff ever. How all this works. Now, so let me let me let me explain. If you have if this is an issue for you, this whole idea of JL and the the hammering in the tent and it looked like murder. Let me let me see if I can help put you in her position for a little bit. Put your and and I'm guess I'm going to aim this at the ladies. Guys, you'll just have to catch up. But ladies, put yourself in the picture of being in your own home, minding your own business, and a soldier shows up at your door. Not just any soldier, but a soldier who is the leader of the occupying oppressive army that is in your land. And from Deborah's song, we already know evidently that the Canaanite army has a little bit of a reputation with what happens to women from the army. So you just put yourself out there, maybe you're, maybe you're doing the laundry, maybe whatever it is you're doing, your normal daily routine, and all of a sudden a soldier's at your doorstep. Okay? And you put yourself in the picture of what is that woman thinking? What, what's going on here? What is happening here? They showed, uh, they had, had an opportunity to present this story to uh, a bunch of Korean women who had been alive during World War II in, in Korea. And now, if you, know, if you know this, during World War II, Korea was occupied by an invading force, and they would, they would take the women and put them in what they called comfort camps, and it wasn't for the comfort of the Korean women. It was for the, it was for the comfort of the soldiers of the invading army. So just imagine... Imagine what happened to those ladies on a regular basis. And when these ladies heard the story of J.L., they were like, dude, she's our hero. This woman is awesome. Why? Because any blow struck against the enemy was a blow towards the side of victory and a blow for the side of right. And they were looking at her as somebody who had an opportunity to strike back and took it. Freedom fighter. They would see her as a freedom fighter. He had an opportunity to take out the enemy captain, the enemy general, and did it. Wow. To them, to these Korean women, any blow against the enemy was a blow for victory. So don't be too hard on JL. Maybe put yourself in her place a little bit before you get too quick. And we don't know everything that happened. We don't have any precursor history between JL and Sisera. So, I mean, there's some questions here as to why even... Why would he pick her tent on purpose? Not just because Hebrew was a friend. There's some interesting thought process here. But anyways, whatever happens, don't be too hard on JL. Uh, God used JL. God used JL to finish out. Now, she, was, she did not provide the whole victory, but she certainly put the capstone on top of the victory. I mean, it was done. When Sisera's dead, it's over. It's over. So... Now, I know this is, it, some of this feels a little scatterbrained in here and there, but it's because when I walked through this, there were so many different directions to go. One of those, one of those where you get done, you've got a series of lessons and not one driving point. So I want to, let me just give you my thoughts, and then we'll go to do some lessons here a little bit. From the perspective of Sisera, and this should be a, an obvious for all of us, is you cannot run from God. If God has an appointment for you, you're not getting around it. And to make that maybe a little bit more 
applicable to us, I'll point you to Jonah, who also tried to run. And God still found him. You're not going to run from God. You're not going to be able to hide from God, no matter how nicely you know, you're treated or whatever, however, wherever you think you've got. If God has a plan for you, you're not going to run away from that. And the Holy Spirit can follow you and knows where you are. Amen. So, and it doesn't matter who your friends are. But anyways, that's just kind of a simple thought. <clears throat> and then don't think that J.L. here, for some of you might be walking through this thinking ahead, that J.L. was somehow rebellious against her husband because her husband was for Sisera and she's against. Again, Heber seems to be kind of the guy who knows what side his bread is buttered. So when Sisera is already beaten, Jael's probably picking the right side for her husband either. Besides that, we don't know. It's not in the scripture. So don't, don't start trying to start play some rebellion in her heart against her own husband or whatever. Uh, it does appear she may have had a better understanding of what to do than her husband did. But, so don't try, try to make her into some rebel here in the, in the process. Okay? But this is... This is, now I'll get down to some more of the thoughts that to me are uh, more maybe appropriate. I think about this. You know, sometimes great battles are also won by a woman who never leaves the house. What do you mean by that? Now, there's a great story. I don't know if you, if you ever get a chance. Look up what's called the clothesline code. The clothesline, the clothesline code. Okay, uh, this was during the Revolutionary War. A, land, a lady by the name of Anna Smith Strong. She was a spy, and she was a housewife. Okay, she's involved in. I don't know if you know it. General Washington had a very good spy network. There's a really good book on that, Washington Spies. But she was uh, no, she was in part of the ring called the the Culper Spy Ring. Okay, uh, Benjamin, Major Benjamin Talmadge ran it. Uh, so. She, what she did is when people were, uh, when there was information to be brought or to be passed along, they would, they would go to her and she would send the message as to where to find the information. There were, there were six coves along some river there. I don't remember what river it was or the, some uh, river or body of water. And she would hang up a black petticoat, which meant that there was a message to be sent. And then she would hang up anywhere between one and six handkerchiefs to tell them in which of those little coves or caves that they were going to find the message that they need. So here's a lady. What's she doing? Laundry. Also helping General Washington. (laughs) She's just at her home, just doing the normal thing, the clothesline code, really good stuff. So, So she would send the message, and no one was ever caught in that spy ring and that code was never broken, the whole Revolutionary War. Just kind of an interesting sidelight. And I know that just, it's kind of off the wall, but again, just these thoughts. And again, another thought kind of passed through my mind is that sometimes while we have a battle to fight, God uses people who aren't part of the battle to strike the winning blow. And we'll make that a little bit more applicable here, because I, I had to start walking through what are the lessons. She wasn't at the battle. She wasn't part of the, wasn't part of the Israelites. <laughs> she wasn't following, you know, General Barak. She didn't, who, did she know Deborah? We don't know. But she's the one that struck the winning blow. So, lessons. What are some lessons? So here's, here's the lessons. And again, we're kind of varied here. And again, I love the story, but let's find some varied lessons from it. People that aren't, 
at the battle may still have a hand in the battle. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, prayer is a powerful weapon. God's power in reference to prayer is not limited by time or space or location. You know, we weren't, we weren't there present with Jared at his surgery. We weren't the doctors there. But prayer is a powerful weapon. Um, I think of the chance I had to, I was, got, to, got to lead Brother Ron Cox to the Lord. And Roz and her daughter walked off. They weren't there at the battle, but they were part of the battle because they were out praying for the battle that was going on in that hospital room. You know, you don't have to be... You understand what I'm saying? It's good to be a part of the, it's good to be a part of the battle. It's good to be a part of the fight. But what if, what if there's work to be done? I'm just telling you, when we start having to do the, the remodel here, you, you, maybe you can't swing a hammer. Can you pray? Um, what if your health doesn't allow you to do outreach when we go out on Saturday? Can you pray? What if your lost friends and loved ones live a long, long ways away? I, that's been one of the things that always interests me is that, you know, why do we witness to people here? We witness to people here because some, someplace, somewhere, we want somebody to witness to one of our family members. Why do we share the gospel with children here? You know, I, I don't know what the state of my great-great-grandkids is going to be. And maybe I want someone to, I need to invest, you know what I'm saying? Somewhere, someone else is going to have a part of a battle that is important to me. And they're not always part of the battle. So people aren't always in the battle that you are. They may still have a hand in the fight. Prayer, think of the centurion servant, Matthew chapter 8. Remember the centurion, he had a servant who was sick and he comes to Jesus and says, "Would would would you heal my servant? And Jesus says, yeah, let, let me come to your place. And the centurion says, no, no, you don't have to come to my place. I know how authority works. If, if, you'll, if you'll just say it, it'll happen. It'll happen at my house. That is faith. You understand that God's work doesn't have to be on location. God can do work that is not on location. Prayer and people, listen, God uses people sometimes. Again, I think I've told the story before, but I, I remember... Uh, when we were back in evangelism, uh, man, we couldn't have been, oh, let's see, it had to be in the 90s, sometime in the 90s after Dane and I were, had been married a few years, and we got, we were trying to get home, got stuck on a hill because of the weather, the ice was horrible, and we're, you know, we're moving forward a foot, sliding back two feet, going forward three feet, going back one foot, and we were just stuck, and semis, semis were seeing us coming down the hill behind us and going, uh-oh, hitting the gas so they don't get stuck and flying past us. And at some point, finally, the plows came through but, and, the, and the spreaders, but they can't be a big help so, you know, because they can't plow underneath you. <laughs> and the sand can only get so far underneath that we had to reach the sand. I remember we were there for, we were there, I want to say, for at least an hour, hour and a half. And it was getting dangerous. I mean, you, you were on a four-lane highway, divided highway, and we're stopped on a hill. That's dangerous. I mean, that's, that's caused for a lot of accidents. And uh, 
we've, we finally, all of us, it's like all of a sudden, man, we're just like, we both take off at the same time. My dad says, I'm going, I'm going. It's me too, me too. Like, boom, we start going. Thank the Lord. We get in. We get parked at our church. We're still 45 minutes from our church. We get parked and we, we uh, go to sleep. And when we finally wake up the next morning, we walk in and the secretary says, were you guys okay last night? It's like, well, no, actually. Middle of the night, we're still stuck on a hill somewhere. And she says, well, I wondered. She said, because the Lord woke me up out of sleep to pray for you all at such and such a time. And we started going, when? That was like precisely when our, our vehicle suddenly started going, taking off. When she started praying for us. I'm just thinking about that. Listen, if God wakes you up to pray for somebody, pray. You may not be in the battle, but you can be a part of a battle for someone else. If God puts someone on your heart, pray. Prayer, people that aren't at the battle may still have a part in the battle, in the fight. Amen. And here's another thought. Sometimes great, great battles are won by someone who is just in their place doing what they're supposed to do. What was her place? Well, it wasn't to be out there at the fight. It was just to be at the house. You, th- you think about how often, what would have been if she'd have thought, I need glory for, let's go modern, glory for women, grab the sword and left. Who would have been at the tent when Sisera showed up? You hear the thought? She was just doing what she was supposed to do, where she was, faithfully serving in the location that God had placed her, and she had an opportunity to do something great and marvelous and wonderful. That wasn't against all the things that women are capable of doing, but what's your place? Be in your place. God can use you if you're in your place serving faithfully. Amen. I mean, besides the whole realm of God can beat a great soldier with an iron chariot using a woman and a bowl of buttermilk, you think God's limited in how he gains the victory. Come on, everybody, everybody stay here a sec, okay? <clears throat> so here's, here's, the, here's the, the, what I think is the presiding thought here. God gave J.L. an opportunity. But it was up to J.L. to respond. God laid the enemy, her enemy, the Israelites' enemy, at her feet. She had an opportunity. I want you to... No, you know what most of us, you know, we want to do great things for God. And you know, and it's true, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to want to do great things for God. Those are good things. But you know where you need to start doing great things? Do what you're supposed to do right now. We talked about that even, even this morning in the, in the Sunday school time. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. What am I supposed to do right now in this moment? Are you a mom? Be a mom. Are you a dad? Be a dad. Are you at work? Be an employee. What does God say I'm supposed to do here? I'm going to do what God says I'm supposed to do as an employee. How do I treat, how do I treat my boss? How do I treat my, my husband? How do I treat my wife? What, is, what does God want from me at this moment? What is the action that God expects from me at this moment? And it's, the answers are right there. Do what you're supposed to do. If you're doing what you're supposed to do faithfully every once in a while, God's going to lay an opportunity in front of you. Take it. Don't miss those opportunities. I, I, I'm, I'm going to overuse this right now because it's been on my mind so much, but it just blew my mind. I, I, I promised my daughter uh, she wanted to go on a horseback ride. Uh, she'd never been. She just wanted to see if she liked it, and I promised her I would do it, told her on her birthday I would do it. Finally, on Thursday, I got to do it. What was I doing? I was, just, I was being a dad. 
as just doing what I told her I would do, trying to be a dad. And you know, dads, especially with dads with daughters, you understand that sometimes you just you just hoping you're doing the right thing. Sometimes you just like, I think this is the right thing to do. Watch the daughter. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Just doing what I'm supposed to do. And all of a sudden, right in front of me, laid out in front of me, was a wide open door to give a lady the gospel. I mean, like, right there. Well, my daughter and I are, I mean, it was like clear as a bell. And if I wouldn't have taken it, I would have been out of the will of God. <laughs> I mean, just as plain as day. I was like, this woman was looking to me like, what? Give me more. Sometimes you just do what you're supposed to do. Don't go walk out there looking for, you know, well, I, you know, I want to do a great things for God. You want to do great things for God? Great. Do what you're supposed to do right now. Stay in your place. Work in your place. Bloom where you're planted. And you never know what, what opportunities God might bring to you to accomplish. I, it, it, still, it still cracks me up, but one of the things when my wife uh, was single, she was she was a member of a, a small church, middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Uh, I mean, a beautiful little spot, but small church, middle of nowhere, Kentucky. You know, just you know, up in the hollers there. And the the college groups had come through and say she needed to go to college so she could find a husband. And her response was, "I think God knows where I live." And. Now, you understand, at 18 years old in Kentucky, if you don't have someone who looks like it's going to be your husband, oh, she's going to be an old maid. So everybody's trying to set her up with all the things. She's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And uh, what does the Lord do? The Lord brings some yahoo from Michigan, redhead out there, because I got a friend getting married down there, and I got stuck. <laughs> Why? Because the Lord knew her address. What is she doing? She's just continually doing what she's supposed to do. Graduated from her school. The school needs help. Okay, I'll go back and work at the school. You know, listen, just do what you're supposed to do. Just stay faithful in the place that God has put you. Do right in the place that God has given you. Just seek to do right here. And you never know. God might bring, God does bring by opportunities for you to be involved with. Listen, take advantage of those opportunities. Jump on them. God's going to give them to you. And look, can I just say, when we look at passages like this, guys, praise the Lord for courageous, good women. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you, just stop and think about what, what your life would be without the women in your life. Just shoot me now. (laughs) Praise the Lord for good women. Praise the Lord. Courageous, faithful. Listen, if you've got a woman in your life who, listen, nobody's perfect, but she's in her place, doing her thing, doing her best, and she's still with you, be thankful. Be thankful. And ladies... Don't give up on doing right. Don't give up on taking care of the tent. Because you never know when God might drop a Sisera in your lap. Amen. <laughs> Listen. I love the butter and brutality part of this. 
I don't think there's anyone in here that doesn't know that a woman can do what she needs to do. It's amazing sometimes watching what a woman what a woman can do. I, I mean, just I was at the birth for all three of my kids. It, that's enough to make me thankful. I'm not a woman, and enough for me to look at my wife and go, "Wow!" Praise the Lord for courageous, faithful women. And ladies, listen. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Keep at it. Stick with it. Tiring. It may not be out in the limelight. It may not be where everybody else gets to be. It may not be in the middle of the best of the best. But listen, God knows where you are. And sometimes he's got a job just for you. He's going to bring it to you. Do it. Take advantage. Take advantage of the opportunities that God brings to you. Listen, you have an open door suddenly. And this is everyone. Suddenly God gives you an open door to give the gospel. Do it. Suddenly, suddenly God opens up a door for you to help a neighbor or, or be a help to some place in the community. Why would you not? If you've been invited in as a believer to a new section, why would you not take advantage of some of that? Amen. When God gives you an opportunity, you do your part, and he will, he will bring you opportunities. You do your part. Take advantage of those opportunities. Amen. Hopefully it won't involve a nail and a hammer. A tent nail and a hammer and a head. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but thank the Lord. So that's just a series of lessons from the story of J.L. and Sisera, butter and brutality. Amen. So let's stand. Let's stand.